Welcome to the TW Sports Group Podcast. I'm Tim Waring. Today we'll be speaking to Mike McGarvey. Mike grew up playing street football before having trials with Oldham and Rochdale. He was a grassroots volunteer before having coaching spells with pro clubs including Burnley, Blackpool and Fleetwood Town. He set up the Fleetwood Town International Football Academy and enjoyed a spell coaching for Aston Villa in China. McGarvey has set up his own coaching programme, Flyde Coast Soccer, and focuses on the importance of educating players and parents. Sit back and enjoy this episode with Mike McGarvey. Welcome, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Tim? I'm good, thanks. We've got a glorious sunny day here in Belfast. How's it with you? Yeah, it's sunny, absolutely brilliant. It's sunny Fleetwood. Um, lovely weather. Fantastic day for football or alternatively talking about football, mate. Perfect. Perfect. Well, well, how do we always kick off these podcasts? It's basically asking, well, whereabouts in the world are you? So I think you've already told us that you're on the Clyde, beside sunny Blackpool. And how you got... Yeah. Uh, football's your saviour in that respect. Obviously, football uh, being around the family all the time was was nice. I've I've almost worked through it, if you're honest. To be honest with you, Tim, you know um, I'm also uh, working education as a, as a teacher, or currently working in behaviour as well in the pastoral role. So when the first pandemic struck, uh, sorry, the first lockdown, you know, I was I, I was furloughed. I was fortunate to be furloughed, um, and. In every situation, I always believe no matter how negative it is, you know, you can find the positives. And, and for us, it was like after two, three, four days, you realise you're in it for the long run. You know, mm-hmm. it's very uncertain. You didn't know what was going to happen. Um, however, we're looking for them positives. And it was a case of the weather was fantastic, as, as you probably remember. Yeah. But it was more the time you've got, you know, you, it, it's a, looking back now and at the time you had so much time on your hands and not an awful lot to do really so it was a case of let's use this time now to, to make some vital gains in um, in player development really yeah 100% because that's the one thing as you say I mean at the flick of a light switch I went from maybe working and coaching with up to 500 kids per week to nothing and I enjoyed having some time that was great and as you say the weather was a blessing to get us through it but I suppose after a few weeks, you know, you sort of get a wee bit itchy feet. You're thinking, what can I do? And uh, yeah, that was the wonderful word that introduced us to um, Zoom <laughs> online sessions. And Absolutely, maybe just up- yeah. updating our coaching library and updating different things. I mean, I thought, right, I'll bring out a book. Um, I'll write another book. And anything to keep us busy and just keep the sanity, as you say. Yeah, well, we've always been, um, obviously, I've known you for a while now, Tim, and, and you're very similar to myself. We're obviously sort of obsessed by the game and obsessed by being better all the time. You know, our, our cult club at the moment, which we'll touch on a bit, you know, we sort of flirted with a few hashtags, as you do as a modern thing now. But, mm-hmm. you know, the mantra is, you know, better never stops. And that's what we, as a, as, as a coaching team, as a club, as an individual myself, it's something I believe in. You, you know, you never stop getting better at whatever it is you do in life. And, you know, that time and that period give us a unique opportunity to, to maximise it best we can, um, yeah. give players a bit of structure. And through, you know, the obsessive work with researching and getting to know people, we came across, I was already aware of a um, very good coach based down in London who does his own online stuff. So we um, got in touch, had a conversation and signed up to his almost like uh, it is an elite home homeschool 
education program for footballers. So we went into a club partnership with um, my personal football coach. Um, mm -hmm. Saul is an absolutely fantastic coach himself. He's been working at the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham and um, wanted to go down the route of being an individual coach, which is quite unique. Um, mm -hmm. The platform is obviously on any sort of device, any sort of technology. You can download the sessions. So we uh, we, we quickly got into that and we sort of used it as, you know, a, a way to help our players and give them a bit of structure and routine. Yeah. Um, we, we set little challenges like, you know, as daft as it sounds now, because it's something that doesn't really, um, doesn't seem to be popular or something to work on but just keep up your challenges you know how many kickups can you do send a video in record it and it created a real sort of buzz throughout the you know our current club it was um, fantastic to see players beating personal records um you know getting better and better all the time and then when you sort of look back on it now you know the um for myself and my own son we go out you know these these sessions that um are on are on the app they're only 20 minutes at a time so mm -hmm. we'll go out with my own son and do two three sessions a day you know at certain times of the day to give him that little bit of routine obviously with no school and stuff so it yeah. was a savior really it was yeah. an absolute savior and as you said it's great because it gives you that time to bond and and still sport and football you know it's a great way to keep in contact with people just to look after our mental well-being but it's, it's positive now to see it we're sort of getting out at the other end of it now and obviously when this goes live we should hopefully be back to some sort of remodeling. Uh but bring it right back now Mike tell us about growing up you know where are you originally from your childhood memories school life football yeah well I'm uh, I'm 39 years young at the minute as we speak uh, big four role coming up this year but um, I think one of these Benjamin Button type characters you know again through the football I feel younger I feel young never felt as young you know my body might tell me different but I've never felt as young you know and I love it uh, but I grew up in sort of I was born in 81 so um, there wasn't as many cars around then now and it was a lot of it you know was just playing on the streets really you know mm. from an early age my dad um, used to take us on a school you know it was the spoilt now it makes, it makes me smile when I think about it you know we went on a school um, you just hop over the wall which you probably couldn't even do now I think they'd all caged off aren't there's no access to these places but yeah. you'd hop over the wall um, and I think they call them piers so you've got a big build you've got the wall if you can try and pay the picture now you've got like the wall which is about eight foot um, and I'm sure someone might correct me here, but there's almost like, they call them little piers that support the wall that go down that look like goalposts. Yeah. You know, the, the top of the roof was shaped slightly different. So it was like our own Wembley, you know, our own um, little area where we always go on and, you know, kids from all over go and play. So you're playing with the young ones, the old ones. And, you know, as I grew up, um, became a little bit more independent, you know, a lot of kids nowadays, you know, the, the word feral is a lot is used a lot, um, especially with some, uh, you know, it, it's used in a, a bit of a derogatory term, doesn't it, really? A feral kid and all this lot. But back then, you look at it and we were feral. We'd just go out and we'd go and play football all the time. And it was brilliant. You know, it was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, once you get that independence, you're not going with dad and all the rest of it. You know, you got to, new, you got to know new people and Saturday afternoons, especially weekends, you'd be out there, you'd be out there after school and it was just hours upon hours of, of playing and, you know, never change it. Absolutely yeah. never change it. But you don't get that now, do you? No, no. Was there, there are four memories I had as well, street football. And we talked about it, it came up in another podcast previous and, and we sort of said the only adult involvement would be when your mum came out and shouted at your dinner. Absolutely. You were left your devices to, to get up to 
a lot of mischief and um and even if you know you're playing that that street football you know you'd mixed ages and you sort of like always worked it out for yourself you know now it's become very very structured in a way um you, the the whole fo- football setup and i do like having that bit of messiness where you can mix up and you can play different ages against each other but let's be honest you know when you're playing against bigger stronger players it brought you on physically and um it also improved you as a player as well playing against stronger better players yeah, and like you say, going back to it, it does make you smile now because you couldn't imagine this this generation playing jumpers for goalposts on concrete. You know, everything's on three G now. You know, proper nets in there, and you know, the, 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 you lose that bit of imagination, don't you? you yeah. Know, you know, it, it helps you as a player. Like you say, you know, you're playing younger, younger players, older players, bigger, smaller. You know, I was always quite tall for my age. You know, quite lanky really, but. Um, just always been obsessed with the ball. Just always had that obsession with the ball. So, you know, we'd, I'd have hang around with people who were a lot older than me. So I'd play with them, but also play against people my own age who were smaller than me. So you're getting that challenge and you're having that success and you're having that, um, I won't say failure, but you, you like you say, you're coming up against different objects all the time and different obstacles. And you've got to work it out yourself, haven't you? I know. I, I laugh at my kids now. I think their biggest stress is about the, uh, the Wi-Fi connection speed. Uh, whereas back in our day, it was more. I hooked the ball back out of the car, like it's got stuck underneath the vehicle. Yeah, they've, they've <laughs> never lived, have they, mate? They've never lived. <laughs> but so you're playing, then, you know, you got involved. It probably wasn't until, was it a bit under 13, did you tell me, before you got involved in yeah. structured football? Yeah, if I'm perfectly honest with you, um, I've got a pretty random memory, you know, I've got some fantastic memories of um, the most random things and then some important things in your life. I don't seem to remember, but my my <laughs> earliest memories of playing football really was sort of playing 11 aside. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'm probably only about seven, maybe eight, might have been younger than that. And I remember back heeling a ball, it was 11 aside on a huge pitch, so probably the only touch of the game that I bloody got. But I back heeled the ball to the goalkeeper who was shouting for it. He's gone through his legs. And I just remember loads of parents on the side screaming and shouting and... <laughs> I don't know whether that put me off or it put my parents off and just stopped me going, but mm-hmm. that's my earliest recollection. And they never under 13s. Um, yeah. You know, it never it never upset me from what I can remember, anything like that. But it's it's a very vague memory, but it's sort of um, it's it's still true today with the parents shouting on the sidelines, and you know, it it can put people off. But we're also very fortunate now that you know they're starting with um, you know five aside to start with and not, you know, the 11 aside on the huge pitch that, you know, we did back then. Yeah. But yeah, so it was um, street football, really, you know, playing um, at school all the time, played in all the school teams, you know, done really well in those. But I just loved playing, you know, I wasn't even that bothered about how well how well we were doing. It was just, you play, you go home and you just go and play again. Mm-hmm. But then when we got to high school, a friend of mine sort of got me involved in a team and, um it just instantly caught fire. I'll never forget. We actually played a local team because um, we were out of town. The team that I played for just down the road, but we played the local team. We um, had a lot of friends in there. Scored one. Played as a striker then because you do. Street players were always creative, weren't they? Yeah. You know, you can't really defend when you're playing street games because as soon as you win the ball, you're, you're attacking instantly, aren't you? So, yeah. um, was always an attacking player, really. So, like I say, going back to that first game against a lot of friends, so it was good, it was exciting, but there was no nerves. I remember that. I remember the day very well. There was no nerves. I scored one, set one up, and we won 2-1. And, you know, um, I remember the parent group was like, where does this lad come from? It's brilliant and all this. 
Um, the next game we went, we won. I think we won nine nil, and I scored eight and had two disallowed. And all of a sudden, you know, people I'll never forget having an argument with one of the fellas, one of the parents, saying, "You've definitely played before." And it was just maybe I was just sort of um, insulated from that by not being exposed to it early doors, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of people, and, and again, obviously it's a lot more structured now, but back then I don't think it was as structured or, you know, about it. But yeah, it was um, great times. Some trials with pro clubs. Yeah, because you imagine what it's like now, Tim. You can imagine what it's like now. You know, you, someone comes out of the blue, never been seen before, because everyone knows everyone locally, don't they, when they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they caught the eye, um, caught the eye and went on a few trials, and it was always the same. It was always um, as good as what we've got. And now, obviously, with my knowledge and experience of academy football, I totally get where we were at. But even now, as we speak, I remember when I was 16, I was ended up playing in the first team of adult football. And I remember, you just young kids are fearless, aren't? Mm-hmm. That's right. It was never an issue. I remember stepping up. It was never an issue. I just felt comfortable in it. You know, it was like the land of the giants when I played adult football. But I always felt that I, I, I could hold my own and I'd get better. And I was a bit of a, I was always a bit of a talker and a bit of a leader as well, which mm-hmm. I think helped as well. So I always felt I could go through the levels. And I look back and. Um, you know, not have any regrets at all, but I think that if I didn't get that talker and stuff, and that sobs, you get involved in the coaching career that you and I have. What age was it that you were when you started getting involved in coaching? Yeah, when I look back now, it, 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 again, it's another memory that makes me smile. You know, a lot of my best friends used to say, oh, the coaches love you, the coaches love you. But looking back, I can see why, because, you know, you are their coach on the pitch, you know, you're their mouth, you're their organiser and talker and stuff. So, yeah, it was when you look back, you can see how, you know, the correlation between the leadership on the pitch and an eventual, you know, transition into coaching. But it was nothing that I had ever really had any ambitions to do. Mm-hmm. Um, at 17, my world sort of changed completely when um, the girl I was with at the time got pregnant. So I was, a, I was a young dad, but we got him involved, my son, when he was about five years old. So um, I remember going down to the sessions and again, you know, you, you just cannot buy experience, can you, Tim? You know, and I think back now and I look at the, the, the sessions that I was doing with him. You know, in the group, it was the old jogging around the pitch to warm up. One hand down, two jump and all the rest of it. You know, it's, yeah. it makes you cringe when you look at it back now. But it's all part of the journey, isn't it? So, yeah, it was yeah. early, probably about 21 when I started. And, and, and sort of grassroots in that level. Um, did you start in any coaching licenses or awards back then? No, never did. Again, I never really had any ambition to it. A, a good friend of mine, he... Uh, he, he was he was quite young when he did his. I think he was only eighteen. Um, but I remember him doing his level one, and it's it, it, it just sort of pricked my ears up. It caught my attention. It was like, oh, quite fancy a bit of doing that, but I wouldn't know how to do it or go about doing it. Um, and as you know, in grassroots, it's just one of those. If you are willing to get involved, you know, you're involved, and it just sort of continued for a number of years, just helping out really. And um, Obviously, back then, I don't think it had the structure that it does now. I think school football was probably a little bit more prevalent. Um, but no, it was just really helping out in capacity of, you know, I think I was almost like the link between, you know, the kids being being quite young myself at that time and the manager, because as you'll probably know yourself, um, mm. kids tend to, um, they tend to gravitate towards 
the younger coach or someone yeah. they can relate to probably more than the older coach. Um, and you almost get like a good cop, bad cop, aren't you, in that respect? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm starting to go into the, the more senior role now because I've now got younger coaches working underneath me. So I know exactly what you mean there. I think the kids look upon it like it's a big brother. Um, and it's lovely because that's what you need, you know, to keep the uh, consistency going where, you know, you develop coaches. And, you know, you obviously Absolutely. enjoy working at working at grassroots level and sort of took a journey then that you end up getting uh, an opportunity to work in professional academies or pro clubs. So where, yeah. where did it come, your journey going from sort of grassroots, like a volunteer, to then starting to maybe look at doing your coaching badges and getting involved with pro clubs? Yeah, it's a good question because I came out of it, I only did it for a number of a number of seasons and I stopped and it was with my second child when he turned four. Um, again, I've got to highlight this point because when my wife starts moaning about my football commitments and my time away and all this lot, she's actually probably the one who, who set me on the, the, the true path for it because she used to work in a bank and um, the secretary or the treasurer from the local clubs, you know, got this random conversation said, oh, we've got a four-year-old, get him down, get him down. And I was thinking, he's probably a bit too young, in all honesty, but took him down. Um, I didn't even get involved in the session because I knew the the coach who, who ran it at the time, like Fleetwood Town uh, FC, it was just like a soccer school on a Saturday. So I used to just help out, um, help out an old coach of mine who was running it. Um, never even watched my son do it. Then uh, all of a sudden, the, the bug bikes, you know, the bug bikes, and you get involved and... Um, I like networking as you do. Obviously, this is how we, we sort of became friends, um, mm-hmm. and we just got talking. We had a, we had a player who was who was uh, who was standout. He was really good for his age at the time. Technically, still now he's, the poor kid just never grew. Really, he's still probably about five foot seven now, but mm-hmm. he never grew. What he was unbelievable technically, uh, and a Burnley scout got in touch. Would like to have a look at him, and we just sort of. Um, Conversed on players in the local sort of um, the local area, you know, and I like I've always had that within me to help other people and um, give opportunities to people. So after sort of um, successfully sending this scout in question, you know, plenty of players, he just said, mm-hmm. "Would you fancy doing a bit of coaching for us with the pre academy, you know, at like the satellite centre in um, in the local area?" I said, oh, "Absolutely, I'd love that." Uh, but again, when you look back as a, as a young coach, I think I might have done my level one at this point. Um, and I think the reason why I did the level one more than anything was because it was at Liverpool Academy. So it was um, <laughs> an excuse to get in there, really, down at <laughs> Liverpool Academy and have a day out. But it was fantastic. Um, it, it, interesting, there was also a lot of Norwegians on the course as well who would come over to do their like, English level one, you know, within right. like, the, the, the um, setting at Kirkby at the academy. So... Um, that was me on the path from there. And again, when you look back, you know, you do your level one and then you, you're keen, aren't you? You want to you learn more, you want to do more. Um, and quickly got the level two, um, which allowed me to do the work with Burnley. But again, when you look back as an inexperienced coach, some of the sessions, you cringe a little bit, but it's vital for your learning. It's absolutely vital for your learning. So when we've got young coaches on now helping out, we say it's all part of the journey, you know, and, and even now... I don't think they value coaching as a profession, whereas mm. other countries do. But um, the time at Burnley was, was was fantastic. I was I was really lucky as well because on my level one and on my, on my level two, um, there, was, there was an ex-pro in it called Graham Lancashire. Uh, he was a local lad from Blackpool who who played around the lower leagues when he was younger um, as a pro. So he had that background and we we bonded. We bonded. We got on really well on the courses. 
Um, Graham was at, at Burnley as well at the same time, so that that was a good link to have. Uh, we used to get all the local talents in, but you know, me being me, I was probably a little bit um, headstrong at times, and it was almost like we've got the best of the kids around here, but we're doing one session a week. Can we do more? You know, mm -hmm. and it just. Um, it, it, it transpired that, you know, with the costs involved of hiring venues and, and paying coaches and this, that and the other, you know, it was just the case of, you know, you can only do one, but if you're interested, you know, come down to um, Gawthorpe at the time, before it's obviously been redone now at Barnfield, but to go down and help out the academy and that was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, it was another level. It was like, you, you think you know a little bit when you're younger, but then you go into this environment and it's like, wow. And, and you question things and it's like, why, why are you doing it like this? Not in a, not in a trying to catch anyone out. It's just, I didn't understand it at the time, what the benefits of it were. So, you know, I was just like a kid in a sweet shop and I was like a sponge just taking everything in. Um, and when you, when you look back on that now, it was when we went in there, they were getting changed in porter cabins and things like that, which for me at the time, obviously making that move from, from grassroots football into, you know, academy football, it was, it was amazing, but you look at it now, the facilities have got, they think they're a Cat 1 Academy now, Burnley, um, yeah. and the facilities are ridiculous, you know, and they've invested well, and I think, they think it's what they've got to do, but for me at the time, it was a brilliant period. Uh, unfortunately, it came to an end when I started doing a degree, and I was just really busy uh, with my grassroots club coaching and my degree, and um, I had to take a bit of time out, but no, it was a fantastic period, um, learning from some great people, Um and it's you know, let's like say making mistakes and experimenting, and it's just it was it was really really good. And I think anyone, if you've got to volunteer or if you're fortunate to get a paid role, I think you've got to do it. I think you've got to jump right in there, make connections and and ask questions and just have your eyes open and make the most of it. And I think you know anybody listening to us outside of the UK and, and Ireland, I mean the northwest of England is a hotbed for football. I mean the amount of pro clubs. Um, it's just crazy, Burnley, but and, and Liverpool. You obviously got your Everton's, your Bolton's, your Blackburns, your Man United, your Man City. Yeah. I mean, too many clubs. We said... Before we mention about the ones in your doorstep, which is where your next opportunities uh, came available in Blackpool Football Club and Fleetwood Town. Yeah, we've. Uh, if we said they had this conversation last week, would have had still had the current Premier League champions in Liverpool as well. But yeah, we've also got the northwest, <laughs> northwest in, um, in terms of Manchester City being in there. But let's say the amount of um, Premier League clubs um, and Championship clubs, you know, the likes of Blackburn are only an hour from here. Um, Blackpool, obviously, anyone involved in football will know what they've been through over the previous years with with the the owners who just ran the club to the ground, really. Mm. Um, but it, again, the Blackpool situation, just to touch on it and go off go off on a bit of a tangent, it's fantastic to see how well they're doing now. Mm. Um, you know, I think at one point the, the they had the loudest crowd me sound measurement in in the country, um, and the the, the 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 fans are hardcore. They're absolute fanatics. They love the club. Um, so we're having a fantastic period now, you know, with uh, Neil Critchley going in again, being being selfish and from Liverpool, I'm delighted for him. Mm -hmm. But I'm also delighted for football because he's doing it via coaching, via giving pathways for loanees of young players um, and doing it the right way. You know, they're not buying the way out. You know, they're having real success through sustained, you know, sustained top coaching programmes. So, yeah, uh, Blackpool on the doorstep, Fleetwood Town, obviously... Um, 
everyone who will be listening to this will probably know Fleetwood Town through the Jamie Vardy. Yeah. Um, through Jamie Vardy. But yeah, again, it's a different situation with, with um, being bankrolled by a very ambitious uh, chairman who I'm fortunate to sort of be on talking terms with. Um, and again, it's done through, yeah, through investment. Don't get me wrong, but he's also trying to do it through sustained investment and um, putting building blocks in place so you know they become um, self-sufficient which is which is fantastic and it's exciting to be part of i really like being part of a project and um you know seeing things and creating things and seeing things grow so it's been brilliant to watch these and and in the terms of fleetwood you know playing a small part in in, in you know setting up of their academy and, and coaching within it uh-huh. and i mean it's a fabulous club to see because i've been fortunate with our friendship mike to, to visit the club on a couple of occasions and one of the young players um, that I worked uh, very, very closely with on a one-on-one basis from Northern Ireland here. Uh, so it's nice to be able to pop in and see him. But during those couple of visits, it was incredible to see how the club and the training facility went from a few porta cabins and a couple of nice pitches to a state-of-the-art for like a League One chasing championship club. I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely, the facility at Fleetwood. Yeah, it's a huge selling point for uh, potential signings and, and coaches as well. Obviously, we've had more recently. We've had Joey Barton down here coaching, and you know, it's, it's it must be it's incredible. You know, the chairman just wants the best for the club, as do all the employees really. But they, they don't want the best. They're supporting that by putting things in place for it. You know, just been down there this afternoon just to take my son and his mates for a little kick about. Um, sat there watching the girls. They've just done like a like a beer garden as well within it as well. Sun shining. Music's on, teams playing football. Like you said, we go back to what we touched on at the start, you know, the street football. You know, kids just playing um, informally, you know, making their own games up, etc., etc. And you're getting the, the whole spectrum of it within within one family community environment. It's, um, yeah, it's an incredible place, mate. And, you know, comparing the two, because obviously you have the experience, as most coaches that start on the grassroots journey, which has... A lot of tri- tribulations as well of you're you know you're maybe waiting to get onto a shared facility before you can set up. You're maybe working with mixed abilities at your team, uh, restricted contact time with them. Compare that to obviously the academy and the professional side. I'm working at UFL. What do you find? Obviously, the main differences and any issues you know working at the academy level because a lot of people. At pro club level, nice facilities, top level players, but I'm sure there's been, you know, different pressures. Yeah, listen, I always look at, um, you know, I'm still heavily involved in grassroots now, and I think I always will be one because I love working with players uh, and my passion for the game, but at the same time, um, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, they're almost like your guinea pigs. They're almost like your, um, you know, you can try things out with them. Um, and there's no major real comeback, if that makes sense. You might lose a game, you might not have any success, but you know ultimately you learn and you can take that on. Personally, as a coach, you could take that into you know the academy environment, and I think I believe it was quite successful with it, if I'm, all honest, if I'm totally honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're in there, yeah, it's... It's, and it did take me a long time. I was always looking for the right opportunity. I was always looking for the right time and place and what suited me, because it is a huge commitment, um, for those who aren't in the know, it is almost like a full-time job um, with a part-time pay, which, mm-hmm. again, you know, you, 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 very few people do it 
at this level for for the money. You know, most people are in it for the passion of the game. You know, the irony was when I first got in at Fleetwood, my um, head of coaching was an FA, also an FA tutor. Um, one of the first courses I ever went on, he actually turned around and says, listen to the group. He says, if you want to be make money in football, you'll never be rich. Um, which is, is absolutely spot on. You know, there's not a, a huge amount of money to be gained from it, working in football. But, you know, I think you've used this quote, and I think I might have claimed it from you, if I'm honest with you. But you lead, you lead a rich life. Yeah. You know, you lead a rich life, which is fantastic. But to get to your point, um, the difference is, in terms of the player, um, is obviously, um, again, what I really liked about working at Fleetwood was is they want to promote local talent. They really want to promote local talent. And given the catchment area that you can only, um, you can scout your talent from within the travelling distances, it is definitely a challenge um, because you can't get into other areas that other people can. You know, you, like you mentioned previously, you're competing with a lot of, um, competing with not just a lot of professional academies, you're also competing with a lot of, um, you know, Premier League academies as well. So mm. um, it is a difficult, you've got to sort of almost use your coaching programme or your, your facilities as, as a selling point. But once you've once you've hooked the players and you've got them in, it's, it's then a huge commitment for the, you know, the, for the parents and for the families. And people always say it's a bit of a rich person's game now. And I can see why they're saying that because the commitment to have to go three times a week to training, um, for example, like Fleetwood now are looking to transition to Category 2 status, which will then give them more time. So you're looking at probably four sessions of training a week. Then you're looking at your match days all over the northwest. So it's a huge commitment for the parents um, and it's difficult for the players. I know, you know, people having teas on the way home. A lot of these are only young kids, but that's the way football's going now. And if you look at... Um, you know, the most progressive clubs, they're, they're mixing it up, like the likes of Ajax, etc. You know, they'll, they'll have multi-sports nights and um, different types of movement sports, etc. So it's not solely football, so it breaks up that monotony a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that is, that is, that is the, um, the big difference, is that you've got a higher ability of player, but you've also got them, you know, three, four times a week to work with as well. So you've got to keep it fresh. You can't, especially with the younger age groups, you can't just be um, taking it too serious all the time. You've got to have a laugh and joke with them as well as as well as hopefully getting your, your session outcomes and you know your weekly targets for the players, etc. And did you find uh, the paperwork and stuff? You know, I know some of these clubs that are, you know, the top category. That you've got the E Triple P. You know, and you're having to record everything, and that sometimes becomes a job on its own, as well as the actual physical delivery of the session. Yeah, the PMA system, um, or more affectionately known as "paid in my ass," that a lot of people do. <laughs> it's um, it, it, listen, it's a great, it is a great tool. It is an incredible tool um, for for the individual. You know, if you if, if some parents might just sort of pay it lip service and do the bare minimum, but you know, now you're getting you're setting weekly targets for players. You, you're putting reports on for target uh, players. You're looking at the game time, um, positions played. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's with, the, the, with the explosion of analysis now, there's all sorts of different types like Huddle, um, where you can go on and, wa- and, and watch your own clips, etc. So, um, listen, very thing, there's nothing perfect in life, is it? Let's be honest. But the key, the, the, key, the key areas for player development are all there. 
it's just obviously the time management of it all. You know, um, I know some clubs will have individuals, for example, they might have an assistant coach who loves doing all that, or that's their specialist where they'll assist the coach during training. Um, but the league coach will take the actual training sessions while they do the other side of it. So there's, there's ways around it. Mm. Um, and there's no doubt that people do find it, coaches find it quite stressful. And obviously talking to yourself um, and, and the likes of BJ was interesting because, you know, BJ was saying up in the northeast that a lot of real top coaches now um, or the older generation of coaches who aren't as tech savvy have come out of the game because of it. And for me, that's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's so sad because you're losing, you can't buy experience and you're losing a lot of knowledge there. Mm. Um, I know the game evolves, but, you know, there's always key principles and core ideas that will always stay in football, regardless of, you know, what happens over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know. Um, and that knowledge gets lost because of stuff like this. So it's, it's very difficult. It's very time consuming. But, you know, as an individual, it's, um, it's a fantastic tool for, um, you know, becoming a better individual. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. And I think as well, you know, through your connection with Fleetwood Town, you sort of steerheaded the, the new project, the International Football Academy. And you also had another opportunity to travel with Aston Villa with uh, offering coach education in China. So tell us, how did that come about? And was it exciting then to be able to travel and experience a different country, a different cultural? And Yeah, in 20, so back in 2017, um, I don't even know where it initially came up, but obviously there was an explosion in football, wasn't there, with coaches going here, there and everywhere. And, you know, like I say, I had no ambitions to be a coach and, and missed the boat in terms of, you know, going to do Camp Americas and things like that. And that is that is my one regret within football. I didn't travel enough when I coach when I was younger really um, or a serious coach but I do regret not being able to do that um, so an opportunity came up in China you know we looked at the time period um, fortunately my wife was really supportive of it um, because obviously as you know she's Spanish and she loves traveling and she values you know the experiences you get through travel so when this one in China came up you know we got in touch with um, the guy who was running it um, we had quite a few mutual friends at the time He's actually now president at um, Stockport County and he's, he's always been a Stockport County man. And, you know, being a, 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 he's fantastic at what he does. You know, they were still getting 6,000 crowds in, you know, the, what is it, fifth, probably seventh tier of English football. You know, when the average crowd is probably, you're in your hundreds, you're lucky to get in three figures. They were getting low over 6,000. So he's, um, back in the day, he actually took them over to China. So he's, he's developed a lot of links through his own personal companies and stuff out there. But he um, he was approached by someone from Aston Villa, if they could go and do their, um, their summer camps. It was the first one they'd ever done. Um, and I think it was put together a little bit last minute, if I'm totally honest with you, because obviously the first conversation where you're going out there working for his company, which was you know, an exciting opportunity in itself. Then all of a sudden the phone call came through and he's like, you're doing it on behalf of Aston Villa now. You know, the chairman was, at the time was Chinese uh -huh. and he really wanted to grow the brand out there. So it was, it was super exciting. And as every coach will know, they all love new kit day. So when all that Aston Villa kit came through me, <laughs> um, through, through the door, I was, I was loving it. I think, I think actually um, yourself got in touch. We've got any spare ones for your, um, I think it was one of your, um, fi one of your Finnish contacts. Uh -huh. who was a Villa fan, if I remember That's correctly. Right. Yeah, so it was super exciting. Uh, it was a little bit awkward at the same time as well because when we turned up there, you know, I didn't do an awful lot of research on China. I just wanted to 
take it for what it was, get out there and enjoy it. So I met up with an ex-pro, um, a guy called Mark Lillis. What a character he was. He was like an old-school um, footballer, old-school footballer. So we had some stories to tell. You know, they used to go out in... Um, used to go out in Manchester. I used to play for Man City as well. And he used to go out in Manchester all the time. And, you know, he always went for a curry in the night. And he, he was nicknamed was Boona. So we had to go meet Boona in um, the airport on the way there. And uh, another guy who'd done a little bit of work for... The, you know, Steve, the president of um, Stockport County, who'd done a little bit of work for his own company in China previously. So it was good to lean on his experience. Mm. Um, but the stories Boone used to tell us was incredible. Oh, there was some brilliant stuff. I probably can't repeat half of them on here, but um, <laughs> what a character. And we talk about people getting lost to the game. He was, um, he was academy manager at Huddersfield until probably about 2016, 2017. So he was just out of the game for the first time in his life. So going out there, we um, the, the remit was we were just doing coaching schools, um, mm-hmm. you know, soccer schools for Aston Villa. So we got there first evening and it was a case of, right, let's go and have a look at what they're doing. Because we were told, you know, they were really basic. The coaches didn't have much knowledge or experience. Um, and we got there, it was all done in a stadium. It was almost like a, like a a community, but it felt like a bit of Olympic stadium with a track around the outside of it and stuff. It was, um, you know, the high story buildings all lit up at night and stuff. It was, it was felt quite special, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to paint that picture, but yeah, it was good. We got there um, first evening, had a watch of the sessions, and within 10 minutes, I was like, this is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But then an, an hour in, they're still doing the same thing. And then an hour and a half in, still doing the same thing and it's like this is a three hour session here you know it was incredible what they used to train and the humidity was unbelievable you know you'd be wearing a t-shirt and within 10 minutes you were dripping it was stuck to you but these kids were so regimented they just played with a smile on the face and it, it turns out that basically if we didn't step in at the time we'd end up doing three hours of the same practice over and over again which you know, as you can imagine, for repetition was brilliant. But in terms of uh, the way we coach over here, it was uh, it, it certainly wouldn't be accepted. Yeah. So yeah. it was um, it was great to see, but we we sort of within two days we came to realise how this had been sort of thrown together a little bit last minute. Um, mm. You know, and I suggested to, to to the lads that we'd actually work with the coaches during the day, and then you know assist them at night so they started leading and by the end of you know the first week after working with the coaches the session and the variety in the session you know it got a lot better and it was um the quality was really good and it was it was great to see you know it it really grew it was fantastic um and then we worked in different cities and it was the same the same again obviously by the time we got to city number two and then moved on to the next one you know we had our own little um with daily routines where we'll work with the coaches and develop them but the appetite for the coaches you know we used to do some classroom based stuff and then we'll get them on the training pitch you know there's some ex-Chinese pros there who um, technically they were fantastic Tim honestly mm-hmm. um, you know I'll touch on this in a bit but in terms of you know what we produce over here worldwide there's, there's real talent out there I mm. mean real talent it's, it's, it's how that talent is being educated and you know, what opportunities they're getting. But um, we did, we had a real impact over there. It was fantastic to see. And it was a shame that we never sort of ended up having to, you know, revisit that and go back out. You know, we were offered opportunities, or I was personally, to go out and work um, 
on some fantastic projects, but the time we didn't need it to be out there just just wouldn't have fit with family life. So um, the China experience was incredible. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, meeting uh, Mark Lillis was um, still staying in touch. Now he was actually Christmas Day, believe it or not. Going off on a tangent again here. I'm terrible for this, but um, I was around with friends on Christmas Day, and all we heard was. Could hear someone on Sky Sports News in the background. I thought, I recognise that voice. I turned over and he's, he's a guy dressed up in Santa. <laughs> I said to the missus, I said, that's Lil, I'm sure it's Lil. I, said, I didn't realise he was back in football. It turns out he was Scunthorpe assistant manager. He was doing an interview with a player on Christmas Day and he's dressed up as Santa. But that sort of, <laughs> that image sums him up. You know, great guy, great guy. I'm delighted he's back in football. Brilliant. And all these experiences are shaping you as an individual, as a coach. And soon then, the next project for you is setting up your own club. You know, tell us about what, well, first of all, tell us about your own club. Tell us about why you had the passion to do it and uh, how's it going now? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to drop back into the into the previous question you asked him because I've not really touched on the international stuff at Fleetwood. Um that was a real eye-opener. And again, it's, it's amazing how opportunities come about in football. You know, you can have the best plans and the greatest ambitions, but as you'll know, something just comes out of the blue at times. And an opportunity to go working for a, a local company who were um, running an international academy. So I got involved in that. Um, and the, 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 it was... was promised the world and it sounded really, really good. And to be fair, the, idea, the seed of the idea... Um, personally, I didn't believe it was being delivered very well. Um, and the lads didn't quite enjoy the experience as they should have done. Um, but again, that was based down at Fleetwood's training ground. So we um, saw the chairman on a daily basis when we was having lunch there, etc. He'd always come over because he's a friendly guy. He came over, said hi and everything. Um, and at, at that time, you know, we sort of I took them all around clubs on trials, etc., um, around the non-leagues, which was a real experience. You know, we had lads from Nigeria, from India. Um, I'll never forget the Indian boys when we first played a game. Um, got them in pretty quick because I wanted to see what they were all about. So we kept them really busy with a games programme as well. Mm -hmm. So we've gone on, we're playing and um, I had to take one of the Indian boys off after about 15 minutes because he was absolutely goosed and I mean goosed. And I just said to him, I, I, I said, you OK? I said, you know, we're, we're trading quite intensely. Um, you know, you, you seem like a fit lad. I said, are you feeling all right? I thought you might have had a bit of illness. And then he turns around and says that they're just not used to the size of a full-size pitch. I says, so what, what do you play on? And he says, well, we play on what's basically an absolute mud bath because they play in the wet season as well. And he said, it's like probably the size of a nine-a-side pitch. So you're thinking, right, this is eye-opening, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was working with the chairman's son at his house, actually doing some one-to-ones with him. And... I just had to just had to ask him about you know what obviously fleet were coming through the leagues he had contacts everywhere you know who we could so I'd exhausted all mine by then in terms of taking him to training sessions and giving him real opportunities and real football experiences um, around England mm -hmm. and around the northwest and he just asked what it was all about and I said I said um, you know they're not happy I said there's potential to, you know, if it carries on like this, I'm probably going to look at doing it myself, by myself. Because mm. um, the lads were really committed and they, they loved it and they were a great bunch. You know, they really are. They're so honest and hardworking. And he said, would you like to do it through Fleetwood? It was like, absolute no-brainer. You've got your physio department. You've got, you know, the media department. You've got everything you need in, in, in there, as you know, at Pilfer Farm to um, go and make a real success of this. So, yeah, we, we went down that route. We set it up and... Um, we had players from everywhere coming over, you know, and unfortunately when COVID hit, 
Um, it's obviously hit the budgets and it's stopped other things, but we had lads coming from literally every corner of the globe and, and, and youth internationals who played in all sorts of um, all sorts of arenas and all sorts of situations. You know, when the one from the Bahamas came over, didn't quite, and the Indian boys, I mean, never forget, we launched in January and he turned up and you know how it's quite a new facility and the pitches are pristine green. Well, that first session, they were white with frost, you know, and the, the faces on them, it was it was hilarious. You know, the Nigerian boys, they just couldn't handle the cold. But the um, again, being honest, and, and, and they absolutely loved the football, it was a case of they just got on with it. You know, they were superb. Um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm no longer part of that project, but I believe it's still going from strength to strength. And interestingly, you know, as you know, with technology um, and even our own relationship through social media, etc., and stuff like that, you know, the, the world's a small place, and we 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 had a link with some Canadians, um, and they seemed those people from all over the world who've been part of this, or they've been to this Canadian program, and so we had people from all different corners of the world, but they all knew each other because they they do these quite regularly, you know, these um, international camps. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all knew each other, which was, again, it's more experience, but it was eye-opening. You know, they knew each other on a personal level. You know, they all sort of knew um, when there was a few misdemeanors, should we say, oh, it'll be him, it'll be him. I'm like, that's not, that's not the player we see on the pitch. Oh, it is. I'm like, I'll do a bit of digging. How do you know this? Oh, we spent six months with him in Canada, etc. And you're thinking, wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it was um, it's fantastic. You know, it really was a good experience. And again, that travelling thing for any young coaches out there or any coaches to get the opportunity to get out there and do it. It's invaluable. Mm. Not only invaluable in terms of the, the cultures you work with um, and the characters you meet, which obviously grow you as an individual because you've got to adapt to them and, and the religious beliefs, for example, and stuff like that. You educate yourself but it's the hours you get to spend with them on the pitch you know over here as you know you know you book a pitch for an hour and that's your training session done you know the, the amount of time you can get on the on the on the training pitch with these guys is it's invaluable and it's, it's brilliant yeah. but um i did say i'll go off on a few tangents here so going back to your question about the club yeah um it got to the point where through a few personal things um and I didn't feel I was getting what I wanted out of academy football. You know, I, I, I love working working with, you know, a whole host of players and abilities and I love watching sessions. I remember um first time I met yourself, I drove over like, I think it was just over an hour to come and see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you was on a trip in, uh, I think it was in Oldham, I think it was going to watch United at one point, but mm-hmm. managed to catch you for 10 minutes and have a chat and everything like that. Uh, but it was great. You know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get around different age groups and look at different coaches. Um, but as the academy was brand new, I'm sure, you know, that sort of thing's in place now. But at the time, um, I was getting the experience or maybe I just had too much passion for it and I wanted to sort of get out there and work with other groups, um, which is when, you know, the club idea came up. You know, we set up, a, a, it was like a private coaching session each week. Um, which grew rapidly. You know, it really caught fire. We had lots of age groups coming in and I was, I was in my element, absolutely loving it, working with, you know, talents that I've been aware of, but obviously playing for different teams or working at age groups that I don't coach at. Um, so getting to work with them all was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. Um, but again, it was that one session a week. You know, for me, it's just not enough. 
and you've got to try and do more with them you know so we said we'll look at doing two sessions a week and then the two sessions a week became you know this is much more enjoyable than our grassroots coaching which you know absolutely no disrespect to grassroots coaches out there because they are grassroots heroes you know without these guys who volunteer and who put the hours in you know you know the football pyramid doesn't exist in grassroots so um they're absolutely vital to you know the, the whole structure however and, and again taking inspiration from people like yourself um they need more you know they need more than one hour and, and, and grassroots can be a bit of a lottery you might get a good coach you might just that parent who's helping out um yeah. So when the parents started demanding, a little, well, not demanding, but requesting a little bit more, it was like, it's a no-brainer, this. You know, every summer people come to you, you know, do you have any space in your team or can you recommend the club and this, that, and the other people that are on the move? And you just think, I'd love to work with them, but I can't mm-hmm. do it. You know, your, your squad numbers are limited to what you can take. So um, we started with seven players, um, not having a clue of how it would go in terms of seven committed to a, to an under-nine under team at the time. Um, and by the time we launched in the summer, this was in the May. By the time we started playing in leagues, we had we had four under nine teams. Um, and then by the by the January, uh, we added another another team. And cut a long story short, now we've just turned two years, just 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 turned two at the start of May, um, and we've currently got twelve teams playing uh, league football. We've got three. Um, who are developing as a squad and squads are forming, who, who are ready to go. Um, we've just managed to get another a good friend on board who's, who's a fantastic coach who has um, left his academy academy role to come on board with us because he loves the project. Mm-hmm. His daughter, again, when we talked about the randomness of football, his daughter's probably, looking at it, probably about nine, ten maybe. She's in year four at school. Um They've just recently done a, a girls' tournament, you know, this from a class from a, quite a small school, really. It's not a big school. Um, and the girls did really well. They've never played before. And then they did another tournament two weeks later. The girls loved it. And, it, you know, we said, well, why don't we get them in? You know, it's my, son, my mate's daughter. Uh, and she said there's quite a lot of real potential there. Um, yeah. So they've come down a few times. It looks like we've got a girls' team ready to launch as well. That's uh, awesome, yeah. I mean, it's such an incredible... In such a short space of time, it's such incredible growth to have so yeah. many teams and now also girls sections as well. So it's amazing. I suppose it's, it's you know everything that you have learned as a grassroots coach, as an academy coach, and to create something special based on your ethos of the game. Yeah, listen, uh, we we don't have any ambition to go and be you know, the biggest and the best around. We just want to do what we love um, and do it to the best of our abilities. And we've absolutely no, um, we've absolutely no illusions that we are perfect. You know, there's, 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 with, with that growth comes, you know, I've, I've been working with every team mm-hmm. up until now, you know, every session we, 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 we work with them. Um, so they're getting a really good standard of what we believe of coaching, um, coaching to our beliefs and coaching to what we believe kids need or any players need. Um, very fortunate to be supported by a great group of, you know, these grassroots heroes, the, the volunteer parents who um, are our match day coaches who come down and, and they help out, who do a fantastic job. Um, 
And again, now we've got got a mate come on board who's who's he's probably going to be a bit of a catalyst to to to, to potential more growth. Um, but it's not so much the growth that I'm personally interested in. It's just it it, um, it improves our practice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it improves our delivery. It strengthens our delivery. You know, we're very fortunate. We've got a guy working part time as well, who's a fantastic coach. He's uh, he works in Blackpool in the community trust, but he's had all sorts of experiences around academies himself, um, from pre academies to working in academies. Currently, still doing a bit in Blackpool Academy at the moment, um, and he's actually an English assistant um, assistant coach for the England amputee team. So, again, he's um, his wealth of experience between. You know, what we class as the league coaches um, is vast. You know, it's, it's very good and we believe that what we're doing um, is very good. And we also believe what we're doing is, is, is what kids need. Um, but like I say, with that comes comes challenges. Um, and it's a constant challenge, as you'll know, Tim, mm-hmm. um, that you've got to overcome. You've got to adapt and overcome. Um, but again something that might be deemed as a bit of a negative. We, we try and find the positives and we try and make sure that things are in place for, um, you know, the successful delivery of, of quality coaching mm-hmm. and that we, we're doing the best we can do. You know, like I yeah. say, we're not perfect. We do get it wrong, but we're, we're regularly reviewing our practice and uh, we've got plans in place. Uh, we're, we're very, very close to signing a lease on our own ground. So we'll have a... Fantastic. We've, um, we're in touch with... Um, the banks and we've actually got some investors who potentially want to invest in us which will allow us to buy our own 3G pitch you know we won't get a big one we haven't haven't got half a million we're never going to get down that route I don't think um, for the foreseeable future but it it allows us to then um, not have to ring up the the, the facility providers have you got a spare slot here have you got an hour here you know Mm. and then you know we've got our own facility that we are able to use at our own discretion you know back-to-back sessions you know having to shoot from one venue to the next venue because i tell you there's times when um lewis hamilton will struggle to beat me when we from <laughs> session to session as you'll probably know mate yeah and i mean i think you see this is the great thing was on this podcast we spoke to many different coaches many different nationalities um but we've been fortunate to have a few dutch coaches on speaking about them and and they laugh at the setup that we have because over there they're spoiled. You know, they mainly have got a, a club or two for each village, and they've got their own facility, their own equipment, so people can just come to the club, dress, and everything set up for them at that club where you know, the tracksuits are there, the equipment's there. Whereas, I mean, you're similar to me. I've got this green van that is my moving uh, equipment storage unit. You know, with everything in the back, and you're having to go yeah. set up. So I know exactly where you're coming from that. There's a message which I love that you have at your club, which is something that we are very big into at TW Braga as well, but the importance of educating not only the players and coaches, but educating parents too. Yeah, just, just touching on what you said first, you know, very fortunate to have uh, met BJ through yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And what a guy he is, he's like the Oracle, isn't he? There's no one he doesn't know or there's nothing he doesn't know. Um, and he's, you know, through through our friendship and, and, and through networking with BJ, we were fortunate. We took under 15s once on a tournament out to Holland. So I know you've done it numerous times, but, you know, that one trip we went on, it, like you say, the facilities is just incredible. You know, mm. you, you're turning up and it, it, is, it is just a grassroots club, but yeah. the community, they're supported by the council, for example. You know, they, they, they charge very 
very reasonable rates on the subs. You're not exactly paying over over anything different than you probably pay here. But um, what you get, what you get for the money, and what they support, the way they support you, and the, the, it's interesting um, to see that because over here you could drive 20 minutes, for example, from where I live and where we live in Fleetwood, and we're sort of closed three sides by the sea. So mm-hmm. if we drove from our side for 20 minutes, you're probably passing four, five, maybe 12 clubs. Um, but they're all, they all come together as one club, don't they? So they have yeah. ridiculous, they could have seven, you know, our under 10 section, for example, is, is very big. We've got five teams at under, under 10. Um, but that's, they'd have seven or eight over there, wouldn't they? And, yeah, um, that's crazy. Some of the clubs um, that PJ was telling us about who feature them, it was the first episode of the podcast. We've also spoke with that. Harry Diamonds and, and also Eddie Van Schaak and that's what they're saying even like a small club in Holland could have as many as 150 teams within that organization yeah <laughs> crazy but, but again it's like you say we're trying to I'm trying to paint a picture for the listeners here when you turn up to that venue you'll know where your slots are you're not having to hire multiple venues across mm-hmm. different areas it's it's a one-stop shop for football isn't it you know yeah. what I really love um and I didn't particularly see it. I didn't particularly see it while I was out there, but obviously talking to the likes of BJ um, is, is that what they do in the community. You know, those buildings are busy all day, every day with not football activities, but with community activities. You know, that that clubhouse, for example, is being used constantly for, for good, for good community mm-hmm. purposes. And mm-hmm. that's something that we're really keen to, um, we're really keen to um, develop ourselves, myself and um, Lee who's come on board of us. You know, and I, I really do think that we can create something quite what would obviously be around here, which is quite sad, but it would be unique around here. Um, but also, you know, it would be also be special. But again, it's it's not that we're reinventing the wheel. We're just taking the best bits or best ideas from, from other people who are currently doing it and um, putting our own spin on it. But again, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the question about educating parents and players, you know, once we've got that venue, you know, just having a home, you know, not having that one hour and then everyone's got to shoot off, you know, we, we, we can get in and we can do, you know, you do some fantastic work on, you know, things and life skills that people might not even think are important. But I know in the past you've had people come in to do money skills with teenagers, for example, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, sports psychology for people coming in and listening, you know, you People might in attendance might not switch on, but if you've got one person listening, who, who it can change their lives. You know, there's yeah. so much good that can be done from having your own facility. Um, when, you, when you've got that platform, I think there can be so many good things that you can do offer these young. Absolutely, online classes with the local police force on web safety um, and protect themselves. So it's just you know so much more than football. But you're completely right. That's the downside in the UK and in Ireland. There's not many clubs have got their own facilities, so it's you're struggling with that base, you know, and you're just having to try and think a wee bit clever um, of how else we can use it. And that's something we've brought in with the, the emergence of Zoom over this pandemic. We now then we always wanted to offer like an education officer, but because we're asking the parents to come out already four, four times a week, three training sessions and a game day we've now started converting things like this to do it online that they can do it from the comfort of their own home so the education officer each week will will, will do an online session likewise our strength and conditioning coach he will do two online sessions a week so it means that we can we can offer more but we just think that wee bit clever to, that they can do it from the comfort of their own homes 
Yeah, Tim, that's absolutely magic, that. That is just, again, you know, I do take a lot of inspiration from yourself in, in, in what you've done. You know, when in the early days, it was random, actually, because I, I was just on me, I, I was as, as an, um, what do they call them? I was an old student, anyway, as an ex, um, I can't remember what the actual word is, but I, I started my, doing my degree at 26 and ended up getting a first class degree in sports coaching, you know, and I've got no GCSEs or anything like that. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't be one who's classed as an academic, mm-hmm. but I loved what I did, you know, and I ended mm-hmm. up getting that, but. Um, you know, to get back to your point with the education side of things and stuff like that, um, Zoom is being one of the real finds, I think, from the COVID situation. Um, you know, I can speak from personal experience with my wife, who, who, who kindly stepped forward to do secretarial duties for the club, which again is, is ridiculous the amount of um, hours it time consumes. But They've stopped having to go now for managers' meetings, secretaries' meetings, sorry, and they're doing it um, via Zoom, which are lasting anything between 20 minutes and, and 40 minutes. Whereas if you had to travel, you've got the travel time, and then people are still there having a drink and having a chat and stuff, and they're going for hours. Yeah. You know, and imagine it's the same with yourselves. Yeah. Um, even trying to do the good work that you're trying to do, the fantastic work that you are doing, you know, I'd imagine you have to rely on favours to try and get a free classroom from a school or from, you know, someone who can provide it or have to even have to pay for it to do this good work. I know, well, that's it. You have this. to think, we'll go to a coffee shop, but all of a sudden, like, as you say, the past year and a bit, we haven't been able to do that. <laughs> so it's yeah, like... exactly. I know, and I know once them coffee, them coffee shops keep you going, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like your one-stop little pit stop and little energy break for you, isn't it? But no, that's uh, that's brilliant. And again, it's stuff that, you know, we, we, that'll help us. We can look at stuff like this. Um, you know, you've got older age groups for the strength and conditioning thing. I love the thought of doing that. You know, and and if, if you can do it with minimal equipment as well, can't you? Yeah. Um, so you can do that via Zoom in your own home, and there's not that commitment like we talked about academies earlier. You know, having to do three, four times a week. You know, that's a fantastic, um, fantastic positive to come out of the COVID situation, and obviously for yourself as well, it's it's cost effective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that you invest in people to do this. You know, mm-hmm. you're not they're not doing it out the good of their own hearts. I'm sure they love what they're doing, but obviously you're having to um, to pay staff to do it, which is quite right. Yeah. Um, but they're getting a brilliant experience from it. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And, uh, you know, so the other things like, you know, has there been any ideas in your own club there in terms of the education for not just the players, but the parents? Have you added anything that we can, we can learn or the listeners can learn from? Well, yeah. The, the, the what, Listen, it, it, again, it's not reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um we believe, um, and I, I personally believe, and, and it, I always, be having the edu- education background in terms of working in schools, etc., you know, I do believe um, we are a little bit different in doing this way, and, and some people might think it's controversial, but, you know, so far, so good, it's proven that it really does work, that, you know, if, if, you, if your son, Tim, was um, in a maths class and he was doing really well, but he wasn't being challenged. You know, you you as a parent, you're not going to want him to stay in there um, because his mates are in that class. You know, likewise, mm. if they're really struggling, you know, you, you don't want your son staying in there or your daughter because they're, um, they're sat with the mates. You know, the um, ultimately, we, we are um, coaches and we want players to get better. You know, and if, if we can put them in a better environment or an environment that's more suitable for their... Um, personal development, you know, we do that, you know, and, and, and it is, and it's sad that the, the parents see this. 
as you know, like a promotion or a demotion, for example. Um, when it's not, you know, there's the we, we want the parents to basically believe in the process, believe in us. We, we know what we're doing. You've, you've sent them to us because you believe in us. Um, and I imagine it's the same across every other club. So trust the Colts, trust the process. Um, and we will do, as a club personally, we will do, and again, I'm sure it's the same everywhere else, we will do um, or they will do what's best for that kid, you know, with the best interest of that kid at heart. Um, we have had to move players um, from other groups and there's times, there's no doubt about it, there's times where parents haven't been happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in probably in the most recent example, the parents turn around and, and, and they get the lads settled in great because all our teams train together as well. We don't have that, um, we don't have that, rivalry that can be created from within the same club, you know, where two teams are become rivals, which is absolutely madness because, you know, the parent group probably know each other, the kids know each other, yeah. they've all got the same likes and interests and because they play for two different teams, even within the same club as a rivalry, you know, we don't we don't which we, we try and avoid that. So um, any movement of players is almost seamless, you know, and, and the kid's gone in there and he's absolutely thriving, he's doing really well. Um and in another, in another instance, you know, we had to, we moved, believe one player needed a bit of time in a certain group. Um, parents weren't happy at all, you know, and, and, and there's no there's no getting around the fact that, the, um, you know, they probably got a little bit emotional about it. Mm-hmm. But within 12 months, you know, two years in now, that, that said kid is probably the best all-round player. In, in, in the age group, you know, he can play multiple positions and do it really, really well. Yeah. Um, and it works. So in, in terms of, you know, do we have a template of, of how we educate parents? You know, we, we try and, and this is the irony, you know, you'll, you'll know yourself, you, tr- you try things and, and you have ideas and it's a process of, you know, trial, trial and error. Yeah. Um, and the irony is, you know, we talked about the PMA and the time it takes to consume and, and, and all the rest of it in your free time. We, we looked at doing some similar stuff to that, um, but it's almost impossible. You know, in a grassroots setting, it's almost impossible to do that. So we do try and get around the parent group and, you know, speak as much as we can do with them mm-hmm. um, and let them know, you know, how the child's doing, how they're getting on, you know, how the team are doing. Um, obviously, you've got your WhatsApp groups, exactly, for example, and stuff like that, where you can share information on good practice and mm. you know um, how sessions are going. Whether we need a little bit more support from them in terms of getting their child, you know, two sessions, or whether we need to get their child um, to be listening a bit more, um, you know, a, 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 maybe a little bit of an improvement in behaviour, for example, you know, mm. when. going back to the question it's basically you just want them to trust the process and and let you do what you know we feel personally we do best um, which is educate the player but you know the parents as as you know and there's there's even adverts out there trying to highlight the the, the situation you know the parents you are the biggest support of your children Um, but at times you know you can be the biggest hindrance as well you know Mm. with questioning of things and expecting you know so expecting things that can't quite happen right then or, you know, or just completely no chance of that happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does indeed. I'm saying the, the big thing you said is, you know, trust in the process. And I think as well, you've touched on, we're always honest, you know, it's never always going to be perfect, but you hope that more time than right, we do get it right. And creating that environment, which is child-centred, is an integral part. 
but uh, fantastic, Mike, and you know, all giving us great ideas to, to learn from and your experiences. But I'm going to now make it a wee bit more lighthearted because at this stage of the podcast, we have a weekly feature. Can you name us your perfect five-a-side team? So firstly, based on your nationality of players that you've seen in your lifetime. So what is your five-a-side dream team? See, this is a difficult one. I'm not going to lie. I spent, Listen, by the time I get to Friday, and you'll be the same, imagine, Tim. My head's absolutely spinning from work and then from the <laughs> football stuff. And then, you know, it's a Saturday before the game, the night before game day, and you've got your head spinning with ideas and things like that. And I really, listen, that's a really tough decision anyway, but um, I really struggled on this one to, to sort of get one of you. And, and one of my strengths as a coach, I like to think, and I've never played chess um, but I always see it as a bit of a chess game, as a bit of a jigsaw. You know, you've got to get the right pieces in the right places. Um, so I went with uh, a bit of a controversial one. I went with uh, being a Liverpool fan, Neville Southall as a goalkeeper. Okay. Um, again, it's probably some mature choices here, people would say. But Neville Southall, from what I saw of him growing up, and he obviously that was towards the back end of his career, you know, and, and, and being an, a bit of a football geek and an obsessive, you know, you, you, you watch everything for best practice and. Um, you've seen so much of him to, 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 to know that he's gone from being a bin man to being the best goalkeeper in the world for a long, long time. So, yeah, Neville Southall in net. Um, the Everton <laughs> fans will like that one. Um, in defence, I'm going to have to go for um, Alan Hansen. Yeah. Again, uh, quite a mature one, but someone who can play. Uh, you, you know how I like my teams to play. They all want to play. They'll got to be comfortable on the ball, which is how we teach our players. Um, and he's, he was great on the ball, bringing it out from the back. So at five aside, you know, you don't have to travel too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got him in there as a defender, and you've also got him in there as someone who can set up attacks and be comfortable on the ball. Um, very close one, that one, with, with Virgil van Dijk, but I'll have to go for Jockey Hansen for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, next would be Steven Gerrard. I don't really need to go into that one, do I? You know, again, he, he yeah. can't half defend. Imagine the energy on a five aside pitch. Yeah. You know, and the intensity of the way he puts those tackles in and everything, it'll be incredible to see on a five-a-side pitch. Um, the other one would be, again, not someone I can claim to have seen, you know, in his pomp or in his prime or anything, but I did obviously catch the back end of his career. But it'd be Kenny Dalgleish. Um, okay. I think he'd be perfect in a five-a-side game. Someone who yeah. can just link the players' movements incredible with the likes of Stevie behind him who can defend or he can play the combinations with you know, and and finish as well. You know, I think that'll give that midfield or sort of um, the, t- the the all round team with that movement, changing of positions, a great balance. Um, and up front, I'd have to go with Ian Rush. You know, again, obviously saw the back end of his career, um, but someone who can press from the front, someone who can hunt from the front. Again, someone who imagine you know the five aside nets. I still, I still can't believe that we even use them over here, Tim. You know, I was <laughs> on five aside on a five aside pitch training the other day, and, and you're looking at it, and you're just thinking, just make the goals a bit higher. You know, these small <laughs> wide things, but they would be great. I'd imagine again trying to take the positives out of um, poorly sized nets, for example. Um, I always like to to use them as strikers for cutting, a, you know, finishing across the goalkeeper because of the, the width of the goals. Yeah, um, yeah. So Ian Rush on that one. There you uh, go. So Mike, Mike's, Mike's Merseyside, Mike's Merseyside five-a-side team. Yes, it is <laughs> with um, with one ringer in Neville Southall. Yeah, very good. So Southall, Hanson, Ian Rush. You land for like a British eyes team. You've got what well, you got in there: two Welsh, two Scottish, 
and an English one. Yeah, very good. Home nations. You know, very... I really, I really would have liked to have, have fitted. Uh, I'm sorry to jump in there, Tim. I really would like to have fitted John Barnes in there. He was one of my heroes growing up uh, in Gaza. But I had to. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to try and fit five in, but I I the balance of that five. Nice, nice. And now you're giving you. What team? Who have you on for? Any nationality now, any player? Again, it's almost impossible. I'm trying to remember, actually. It was only Friday, and now it's obviously now it's Sunday, so it wasn't even two days ago. But <laughs> I wrote that many squads down, that many formations, the, the pros and the cons of it. Um, I think I went with Buffon in net, Gigi yeah. Buffon. Okay. Um, obviously, he, he, even up until a couple of years ago, he was still right up there with the world's best for you know a good 20 years. Um, being the size he is in five-a-side goals as well, he could almost fill them in terms of his dive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that goes in his favour on that one. Um, I can't actually remember. Have you got this wrote down here? Yeah, I'd yeah, be able to help you out here. <laughs> Guardiola. Put, put, yeah, <laughs> that's Matt. Guardiola, that was it. Someone at the back. Um, I did put John Terry down initially because obviously he's very good on the ball as well as defending. But um, I then thought of Beresi, Franco Beresi. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting him at a football convention in, in, in Birmingham a bit randomly. You know, and he's always sort of been... I ended up playing as a defender at one point, so he's always been a bit of an inspiration. But yeah, I went with Guardiola in the in the end. So you've got Perfect. him as in, is, is that sort of pivot player, that one who can play off the goalkeeper. And then uh, going into your midfield then? Midfield, the, but, the one and only Ronaldinho. Absolutely yeah, no doubt about that one. You know, I think, like I maybe mentioned earlier, there was a period in my life where football didn't really sort of play much of a priority. But, you know, the, I've always had a bit of an infatuation with Barcelona um, mm. and you have them rose tinted glasses where everything's better elsewhere don't you yeah. Um, so yeah uh, Ronaldinho just sparked my love of football again you know the way he was he, he was ridiculous wasn't he so again imagine putting him in there with Pep feeding him in, in you know covering for him or playing yeah. combinations <laughs> or, play. <laughs> it'd be incredible yeah there's the ball go and do what you do um, absolute no brainer Ronaldinho and next to him, you had another talented Englishman, Gaza. Did I put Gaza in? Yeah, you're Gaza. Did team. I go with Gaza in there yeah. again? Imagine him five aside driving at you. Um, I wouldn't fancy him in, from a defensive aspect, but you know the, the, the players on the ball, how comfortable would they be? Pep in there, and Ronaldinho, and then Gaza. You know what? A, what an inspiration! I think if, if I'm going right back to the start of my. Um, Obsession and love of football, Italian ninety. It was did it right for me. I remember going to Woolworths with me. Um, I think I still had some birthday or Christmas money left, and about all the goals of Italian ninety. But you know, Gaza, Gaza made that tournament for me, and um, you know that tournament really sparked a love of football that still lasts now. Mm. You know, if anything, it's even stronger. But yeah, Gaza, without a doubt. And up top, do you remember who you selected for your striker? Yes, I do. I do, because it was really between, um, as much as, again, I love Robbie Fowler. It was so, so tough to leave him out of that other other team. But I think Ian Rush's press would have been better on a five-a-side pitch. Um, it was a choice of you know, the, the original Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo or Romario. But again, I'm going to be a bit nostalgic here. Um Again, with the Barcelona link as well as the Brazilian teams, you know, they were like magic when you were a kid, weren't they? These Brazilian mm. teams and, you know, the 94 World Cup and the celebrations and everything, you know, that, that guy was just an absolute goal machine, wasn't he? 
you know, he might not offer an awful lot off the ball, but he knew how to finish. And yeah, yeah very nostalgic team that one for me. That Brian, so Buffon and goal, Guardiola, Ronaldinho, Gaza, and Romario. Great team, great shout. And yeah. our final question, right? <laughs> we always, we always ask. A future guest to appear on the TW Sports Group podcast. So, who would you like to recommend for a future episode? Oh, again, uh, when you look at it, inspirations and, and mentors in terms of um, in terms of your coaching, I could probably give you three or four. Um, again, going back to your, your lockdown question as well, you know, I, I was really fortunate to speak to um, the director of football at um, the Belgium FA, who was incredibly generous with his time. Um, and has been a big inspiration of how we do things with our youth, uh, sorry, with our younger age groups, you know, starting from the beginning. I think the setup's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's so many to mention, um, but I'm going to go with one who I do stay in touch with quite regularly. Again, it's another Tim. It's um, a guy called Tim Lees who used to um, coach with, with Watford, got involved mm-hmm. at Watford uh, under current. Um, Man United Academy coach, uh, Academy manager Nick Cox. Mm-hmm. You know, he told me some great stories, but not just stories, you know, the, the inspirational stories and what he learned from there. Uh, he moved on to Wigan under Roberto Martinez, who played a big part in his development. Um, and, and what I love about this, Roberto Martinez, he had such a big say in the academy. He, he had a real passion for it. You know, he didn't just pay it lip service. He, he really wanted to develop the players at Wigan, you know, in, in a way that I think is becoming more common now. But at the time, you know, it was something that I really believed in, you know, rotation of position, you know, um, being comfortable on the ball, playing through the first different formations. Um, even within a game, so he's been brilliant with his knowledge on that one. Then he moved on to to Liverpool and worked under um, some fantastic coaches. Um, he had to move in the end to to progress his career because he thought that well, he, he had a really good opportunity to move to Saint Louis Academy manager, but um, he he believed that standing in his way to any first team would have been Pep Linders. He was a massive inspiration to him um, and he's, he's a huge inspiration to himself, Pep, looking at what he's done and his blueprints been all over this success, successful period of Liverpool. Um, so I'm going to go with a guy called Tim Lees. He's um, fantastic with his time um, yeah. and he's been a real inspiration. And again, I'm no academic at all. I'm still not even great on social media and stuff like this. And I, only, I actually only signed up to, um, signed up to Twitter to try and get in contact with him because I'd heard him on other podcasts and I've heard uh, I've read some of his work um, and I actually tried to get him or Mick Beale down. Here's, here's a funny little story just to sort of um, to finish off on this one then. You know, I got into, got into Twitter to um, try and put coaching put a coaching clinic on after I come out of academy football because I wanted to learn more. I didn't feel like I'd um, learned as much as I wanted or I hadn't got the experiences I wanted and I knew this guy was right up my street in the way he did his work, you know, very similar values and, and, and ideas on the game. So we got in touch with Tim, sent him a message and said, you know, would you be available? At the time, Mick Beale, who has um, been a massive inspiration to, you know, my coaching. Um, I got in touch with him as well. And Mick's now gone on to be Stevie G's assistant manager. Uh, yeah. And again, who is really well thought of by Stevie and you can see it in the way the range is what a successful season they've had this year you know it's incredible how relentless they've been and you, you can just 
you, you, from the background and the research and everything, listening with um, McBeal, you can see his implant, his blueprint all over that team. But um, yeah, Tim Tim replied and he came down to to Pillfoot, um, giving the big giving the big story. I'll come down to Pillfoot. This was like the grassroots junior club again. I've, I was being really selfish here um, because I wanted to get in network with him, wanted to get to see what he was all about, wanted to get him to see put these practices on. You know, bear in mind the club at the time that we was with probably had, based on a, a team of having three coaches per team, you're looking at over 100 coaches. So I'm giving it the big and saying, get yourself down. We've got these facilities. It's brilliant. You know, we've got all these coaches going to come and, um, you know, we can't wait to see you. He turns up and there's four coaches there. My heart <laughs> absolutely sank, mate. I was like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, how's this? Go- I didn't have a clue how it was going to go. So we've gone up into the classroom. Um, I think, you know, I think Tim, to be fair, he had to take a moment himself and he was like, what is this guy all about? Do you know what I mean? Some, football, some kind of football Del Boy. Um, but he put, on his, he put on his PowerPoint, went through the clinic and, you know, we had, because of the small numbers, well, the ridiculously small numbers, we had some brilliant conversation. You know, the conversation was fantastic because you're getting that personal time with him. Um, and I think he did take a bit of a pity on me and a bit of sympathy. Um, and we st- obviously the outdoor stuff was fantastic as well. But he um, he stayed in touch ever since, and, and we are still in touch now. And you know we bounce ideas off him, and I still look to to like yourself, people like yourself, and and, and especially Tim as an inspiration. So it could have been Mick Beale. I'd have been, I'd have been equally as um, privileged and proud to have had him down to that clinic and. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not have seen him again if only four turned up, but Tim was um, <laughs> Tim was brilliant with his time, and you know he still is now. You know he still is now. It's a real shame because he almost got the academy manager's job at Fleetwood, uh, mm. but he had to withdraw his um, application for, 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 for certain reasons, which I, I don't want to go into on here. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't for him. But it would have been incredible to sort of um, to see him close up in action regularly and work with him as well. But um, top guy. Uh, it must be a Tim thing, it must be a name thing, eh, mate? But, Can you imagine that? Uh, Two Tims on the one episode. How's that going to be? And we'll even promise Tim that we'll have more than four listeners, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll, guarantee, I'll guarantee you five if you want, mate. <laughs> mate, great shout And thanks so much for your time. It's been brilliant catching up with you as always. Always uh, great to catch up and I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person in the not too distant future and that we can start to travel a little bit more. Definitely, definitely. That is uh, the one on the bucket list, you know, to, to, you know, it would be great to do it with yourself, but just to get out to clubs and um, to get networking again and just to get watching things and, you know, you know, that, how that fire burns and, and, and you, you get out there and you see it all again and it's just the enthusiasm it gives you to get out and do it again. It's just, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. It's exciting, but no, yeah. it's been a, it's been a pleasure Tim. It's been an absolute privilege and, you know, I can talk all day, but hopefully I'm going to go and watch Liverpool beat West Brom and really push <laughs> on for this top four. We've got three cup finals left. We beat, we, we won our cup final the other day against your team, so hopefully we can keep that momentum going, mate. Yeah, no, no, no more talking about that result. Like, uh, that, that, that's barred. barred. No talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> for a private conversation only. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, here, enjoy the game. Thanks for your time today. And no, thank you. you soon. Bit of pleasure. Cheers, mate. Bye. 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 Thanks to Mike McGarvey and thank you to everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast and share with your friends. 
If you can also give us a review, it would be great. You can get in touch for a shout-out by emailing tim at twsports.org. Just put podcast in the subject box. If you'd like to support the podcast and receive my weekly video training sessions, become a patron now at patreon.com forward slash twsportsgroup. You can support us from as little as £3 per month and you gain access to the library of training sessions. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Waring and we'll be back next week with another episode on the TW Sports Group podcast. Speak then and take care.